serves. This is Sir Gene with your morning update in the afternoon. This is Sir Gene, and joining me today is a dude named Scott. Scott, tell the folks a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Gene. So I'm a 58-year-old guy, and when I was 50, I got this epiphany of, is this all that's left? I've, I've, I've always been what I call a ham and egger. I've always gone to work. I, I raised my kids. I bought a house. I put money back. I did everything that a boomer is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And then when I turned 50, I was like, I need more in my life. So mm-hmm. I actually was really into podcasts. I listened to Mark Marin's podcast and I listened to some NPR podcasts and I thought, well, what would a local podcast look like? And so I searched out local podcasts and a lot of the major cities had them. And I was in South Bend, Indiana at the time, and my city didn't have it. And South Bend is like right across the border from Michigan. So they call that area Michiana. And I wanted to talk to folks in Indiana and Michigan and my area And so I started what was called the Michiana People Podcast. And I would go to them. They would come to me. I built a little studio in my house and all that. And I really got into just talking to people who own businesses, talking to people Mm -hmm. in politics, talking to artists, musicians, just anybody who I thought had some value that could be highlighted on the show. And I did that for... I think, I think I did that for about three years and I started that about seven years ago. During that time, I was still looking for more. I was, I was having fun with the podcast. It wasn't a hit. It wasn't something that's going to climb the Apple charts or anything like that, but people listened to it. I got good feedback and Mm -hmm. I got to meet a lot of really great people. I made friends through it, which was really the thing I needed to do. I needed to reach out and get my friend list bigger. And that did happen. I still keep in contact with a lot of the folks I talk to, but I was still looking for more. And when I was uh, 52, I started doing stand-up comedy. And interesting, I've heard a number of folks deciding to do that later in life. Uh, Yeah, it's almost an epidemic. Yeah, it seems like it, because maybe it's just because I'm getting older and my friends are all getting older, but it sure seems like People that didn't really talk about any interest in doing stand-up all of a sudden taking stand-up classes or getting a lot more interested in going out there and doing it, which I I find interesting because to me, it always seemed like stand-up is a young man's game. Yeah, and it really is because coming up in South Bend, where I was at the time, it was pretty much 20-somethings, a couple 30-somethings, and then me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there was one older dude that came from, and I think he was a few years older than me, that came from a little bit east and would come to some of the open mics I went to. But other than that, I was pretty much the grandpa of the of the comedy community there. Mm-hmm. And the, the the way I got started was actually pretty funny because they I I had I'm in the IT field myself as a consultant and oh, I've been with the same co- so is, so is everybody else that listens. <laughs> yeah, I know. All right. It sure seems like that's the biggest demographic. You know why IT people do listen to podcasts and they listen to a wide variety. Mm-hmm. 
we're geeks and we're geeks in a lot of different areas. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I had worked at the same place for 17 years and I've always been a dry, sarcastic dude. And I would mm -hmm. kind of liven up wait, meetings wait. with a dry, sarcastic IT guy. No, no, but an IT guy that can actually communicate. So that's mm -hmm. sometimes that you don't get that with IT. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I, so I'd been there for, I think at the time it was 15 years. I worked there a total of 18 and they, uh, they did a company party every year and mm -hmm. it was a holiday party, but it was, they always had it in like January after the holidays. And I never went, I, I never had a desire to go to that particular party because I saw the people I worked with enough. <laughs> yeah. <that laughs> it just wasn't, sense. wasn't something I needed to do. So the mm -hmm. guy who was doing the, the entertainment, they had gotten a magician like three years in a row. So he comes to me and he says, I want you to do stand up for the company party. Mm -hmm. And my answer was a very quick, no, I'm not a stand up. And I forgot about it. Then he came to me again and said, I really want you to do it. And I said, no, again, he came to me again. Mm. And finally I went home and told my wife, I said, man, Michael's just bugging the crap out of me to do uh, stand up for the company party. And she said, well, you want to do it. So just do it. So <laughs> I did it and I really enjoyed it. And really my stand up was pretty much just roasting my coworkers. And, and that's easy to do, especially when you've been working with them for years and it went over well, everything, everything was fine. I was not, I would not consider myself a stand up comedian <laughs> at that mm -hmm. point. But I got the itch and started getting there's only place. in South Bend, there was only like one or two open mics that you could go to on a weekly basis. And I found them and started going to them and really made a lot of really great connections with young people pretty quickly mm -hmm. and didn't get really good at stand up for a long time. But I went to the mics, made friends, kept working on my act and just did it as a hobby more than anything and just kept going at it. And then finally I got good enough at it that people were asking me to be on shows on showcases and things like that. And then long story short, a friend of mine had a really nice rock rock and roll bar. He had like the best sound system I've ever seen. And he had Thursday nights open. So I asked if I could do shows on Thursday nights and I did either a showcase or I'd bring a, headliner in from Chicago or a local headliner and put on a show. And mm. that went over pretty good. During that time, I was trying to get better at standup. Mm. And of course, listening to all the podcasts I listened to, I looked for standup podcasts and I found some that were pretty good. And I found some that were pretty bad as, as there's a ton of bad podcasts out there. Oh yeah. But I, f I found some podcasts that were okay, but none of them had exactly what I wanted. And I'm, I'm a guy that doesn't get into small talk or inside jokes or just three guys sitting around shooting bull, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. it, it, it doesn't really appeal to me. If you're talking about a specific subject and you deep dive into it, that's what gets me. And so because there wasn't anything out there and I had been doing the Michiana people podcast, I said, okay, let's, let's start a podcast that I would want to listen to. 
And I am, I, I'm kind of a, a real knee jerk type guy. So, and a lot of people who start podcasts are like that. They say, okay, let's start a podcast. And tomorrow they start their, they do their first episode. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, this, I want, I wanted it to be good. I wanted it to be special. I wanted to make sure it was fulfilling everything that I wanted it to do. So I really spent about a year researching and putting together what I wanted my podcast to be before I even start. Oh, wow. Okay. And putting that kind of work into it, I, I lined up the guests I wanted to have when I wanted to launch it. I had my artwork ready. I had a mission statement. My mission statement is very simple. The podcast is called Behind the Bits, and the mission statement is Serious Comedy Talk. Really easy. But it took me a long time to get to that. And in getting to it, I really felt like I had something good to to bring out. I wasn't, I didn't have any expectations other than mm -hmm. ho hopefully learning about comedy myself, recording it and having other people learn at the same time. So I launched it. I don't know. And, and I, I know that you're not, I, I know that you're not a 20 year old, but I don't know if you're in my age range, but I don't yeah, know I'm if you remember 50s. Tom Dreesen. No, I don't. Okay. So he was, he came up at the comedy store in the seventies with folks like Letterman and Leno and all those folks mm. and was really, really good. He, he came from Harvey, Illinois, suburb of Chicago and was really a very popular comedian. You'd see him on Mike Douglas, Dinah Shore. He did Johnny Carson like 30 times. He did Letterman like 35 or 40 times, but mm. was really good. And he was one of those guys that you would think should have had a sitcom because he, he, he was, he was a good looking guy. He, he really had great stage presence and all that, but he got hooked up with Frank Sinatra through Sammy Davis Jr. In mm. the, I, I think it was towards the end or like middle of Sinatra's career in the eighties and actually worked as Sinatra's opener for about 14 years. Okay. And during that time, he got all kinds of great offers for sitcoms. He did a talk show for a short period of time. Just all kinds of great stuff happened to him. But he really liked working for Sinatra. He, d he didn't want to be that sitcom guy. And so he just kept doing that. And that was pretty much what he did. And, and he's still a stand-up. He's 83 now, 84. And uh, he still does stand-up. And he does a show where he goes around and talks about his years with Frank Sinatra. So this guy's kind of my comedy hero and I got him as my first guest. And Okay. And it was really it was really one of those things that started everything off on the right foot for me. I know that not everybody knows who Tom Dreesen is because he chose not to get in the limelight like his his one of his best friends is David Letterman. So he decided not to be that. But he's one of the best comedy writers in the world can can work 100% clean is he's he, he's like an all-american comedian and i just i just loved what he did and he came on the show and i wanted to make sure that i was talking to comedians from all walks of life at all points in their career so i talked to some of the old folks from the comedy store i talked to new comedians that were just starting to get like feature gigs or headlining gigs and everything rolled in and did really, really well that first year. 
now my listeners so how, were how not, many episodes did you end up doing in the first year i did i did every week so i did okay. and i there was a couple extra i did like a covid episode that i threw in there so probably 53 54 episodes okay well that's pretty good well they say the magic number for podcasts is about 50 is if if you can get past 50 you're probably going to keep doing it for quite a while because statistically like 90 percent of podcasts never make it to 50 yeah it's and really 82 percent don't make it past seven <laughs> i believe that yeah. yeah there there is a lot of the the nice try sort of podcasts out there yeah yeah and and i i think it's mostly lack of planning and and mm-hmm. folks really don't know first of all, what it takes. I mean, you do three podcasts and you know what it takes to put the work behind it. So you're going to talk to me for a while and the work you have to put behind it is a lot more than the work that you're putting in now. Yeah. Well, I try to automate as much as possible and, and make it as painless as possible after the the fact. But yeah, I am, I'm definitely one of those guys to the chagrin of some of my friends that doesn't think the podcast is ready until there's post-production. A lot of people yeah. like to just hit the record button and then be done. There's very few people. There are some, but there's very few people that can do that and, and have it sound great. But typically, there are people that came over from radio and doing live from the get-go. And so right. they have a different sense of what it, what it means to get everything just perfect when it's live. The vast majority of people doing podcasts can't do that, but yet they never learn the post. Exactly. Levels and getting, getting rid of dead air and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Did, did yeah. I read, did I read Gene that you use Descript? I do. So I, when I found Descript, it was like, like that Eureka moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I absolutely love the fact that you can pop it in there, get the transcript, yep. delete from the transcript transcript just like a word document and do do studio sound for my guest who had a crappy microphone Mm -hmm. and it's just really fantastic what you can do with it yeah it's a it's a really good product it's not cheap because you're you're basically paying a monthly fee that comes close to what i pay for adobe but it is for the time being anyway somewhat unique now adobe does have a beta of their podcast product that is very very similar it does the text to speech you can edit the audio using the text portion of it and it's going to allow you to do live streaming as well so once that goes into full production it's part of the full adobe package i think the script's going to have a hard time holding on to the number of subscribers they do because it's it's going to be essentially a freebie if you're already subscribed to adobe you're going to get that product as a free add-on but for right now it's not quite there the beta does the basic functionality but Descript still has a lot more features and i i've got a link to Descript in in all of my descriptions the podcast the info section right. of the podcast so people can click on it go check it out but i've done podcasts i think my first one i did in 2006 or 7 and i've so i've done a bunch of them over the years and I don't think I could do three podcasts. I actually do a bunch of stuff on YouTube as well, but I don't think I could do three podcasts right now if it wasn't for products like Descript. Right. Because 
in the old days, I still did post, but I did it manually by listening to the podcast <laughs> slowly and then removing words at a time, removing dead space, doing everything in addition that needs to get done to clean it up. But that process would typically be two to three times longer than the recording portion. With yeah. the script, I find it's closer to one-to-one. Yeah. And if it's the same person, like if it's a podcast with the same co-host, then I, I might be done in half an hour. I yeah. might go really fast. Yeah, I've... I my experience has been exactly the same it was it was two to three hours for every hour of recording mm -hmm. just going through manually backing up and and it was it was awful and with the script it's it, it depends on how bad the person sounded on the other end because sometimes you need to run it through a few different things and check the equalizer do different mm -hmm. equalizer settings to get them to sound even somewhat good but the fact that you can just go through, remove filler words and do all, all the stuff that I was doing manually, just really, and it's got some great video features too, because I've done some promo videos and mm -hmm. you can do the same thing. And the nice thing is, is I never get it right the first time and I can just keep rolling and just take out what I don't want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think my, my only real complaint about the script is that they they give you a certain amount of time for the transcription. And I've had multiple instances where I've loaded something in, it starts transcribing, and then like 10 minutes later, I realize I it's the wrong thing or I had the wrong voice or something. Yeah. <clears throat> and then it's like, oh, well, you already used up half your transcription time for this month. It's like, God damn it. So <laughs> yeah. It, there are situations like that where I've, I've ended up using up a good chunk of transcription time for the month by redoing a project rather than having new projects. And the other thing about it is I have noticed when you do, when you do tracks, like I typically record my track and then the other person on separate tracks. And then that way you've got isolation for, for cleanup, but, right. but doing that Descript doubles the amount of time that it sucks up from your pool of time for transcription because they they basically use that time up and I, I can't remember how many hours it's like i think i have 40 hours a month or something that i get mm. but i typically use it all up but it's when you have two tracks even though only one is speaking at a time and an hour-long recording is two hours that it pulls out of your your total pool of time for transcription because it processes each of your tracks individually. Mm. Whereas if you just do more of an amateurish job, you dump it all on one track, you stick it into the script, then it'll do its best to analyze who's speaking based on the way the voice sounds. And it does a very good job, but it's actually doing a more complicated job because it has to recognize stuff, but it's only charging you for the one hour. Right. And I've, I've sent them emails about them. Like, guys, this model is just like, it discourages good audio. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and the other problem is, is I, I don't know if you experienced this, but the last few months has just been buggy as hell. <laughs> yeah. They went to a new version, which is, uh, I don't, I never asked for it. I was fine yeah. with the way the old version worked. <laughs> yeah. The old, the old storyboard, but uh -huh. they did, they put a fix out. I think it was this week and I know I've, I've edited down 
I think three episodes since that, and I haven't mm. had any of the problems I had previously. So well, I think the bug yeah. fixes have helped. Yeah. And they do put them out on probably multiple times a month. There seems like there's an update all the time for it. So they yeah. are doing good work there, but I think they also realize that they've got a limited amount of time before Adobe is fully out in release. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, it's going to be really hard for like, they're going to have to either cut prices big time or give you a lot more features. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm on the annual plan. So mm-hmm. I, I hope, <laughs> I, I hope that they keep, keep up and be a, at least as good as they are until Adobe gets their finished product product out. Yeah. Well, I think they will be, but it's, it's going to be a question of, can they retain enough subscribers to pay for the infrastructure of their company once that happens? Because right. I'm probably going to move. I mean, I, I already pay for Adobe. That's yeah. why do I need another 60 bucks a month on top of that? You know? Right. No doubt. So, but yeah, it's a good product. I mean, I think it was, when it came out, it was absolutely revolutionary, but, and even still, there's really nothing that does all of what it does all in one package. Right. Right. So, yeah, yeah. The transcript. What other tools is, are you using? I, I'm sorry. What other tools are you using? So really, I dump I dump a lot of stuff into Audacity for a first time run through, mm-hmm. and and that that's fine. If I feel like I'll I'll do I'll do the cheat thing. If I feel like the person on the other end had pretty good sound and I had pretty good sound, I'll just combine the tracks and I will mm-hmm. dump them into descript as one track so, okay, that so you do i'm that. not Got it. eating up the time yeah 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 and that's the thing is if they if they didn't have that limited amount of time and i understand why they do it but also i feel like well at least you should double the amount of hours for the standard pack because i i buy the the bigger size package because of the hours and if they like gave you 40 hours for the standard package that would be i think I'd be a lot more inclined to to stand them or recommend them a lot more. And it, it, I don't know. A lot, it's true with a lot of these podcast things. Like, I don't know. We could talk to you about what, who you like in hosting. And I've tried a lot of them. And I, I know a lot of the, or at least I've interviewed, let's put it that way, a lot of the CEOs of the hosting companies. But the, the they all seem to have, I shouldn't say all, most of them, have a limit on the number of hours of podcasts that you put out. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's, that's stupid. Like it, the cost is so marginal for them on whether right. you upload 10 hours a week or sorry, a month, 10 hours a month, 20 hours a month or 50 hours a month. Like there's virtually no difference to the hosting company in terms of their costs for that bandwidth. Yeah. It's, it, it's negligible. But they yet, have already that's paid how for most the of them seem to be. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. how they most of them seem to be pricing this stuff. I would think a bigger cost is just like holding on to all your past episodes indefinitely. Yeah, like that would be the bigger cost, not the amount of hours that you do per month, because the there there are certainly people that just do like an hour a week, and then four hours a month is plenty of time for them. Exactly. But they're already limiting you by the podcast, so you're you have. They're basically charging per RSS feed, Mm -hmm. but then they're also saying, well, but also don't add more than 20 hours worth per month on your RSS or whatever the number is for the different 
companies out there. So again, there I feel like like that model isn't really optimal because it it's it puts a limit to where there's not much cost difference for the company. Right. Who do you use? Who do you typically work with for hosting? So, so like you, I've been through quite a few hosts. I started with mm-hmm. Libsyn. Mm-hmm. I did Podbean. I mm-hmm. did Buzzsprout. Mm-hmm. I did Spreaker. And I have landed on Red Circle. Never heard of them. Yeah, they are, they're a small company. They, I mean, their market share is super small. Mm-hmm. But it's got a couple features that I like. First off, they don't limit how much audio you put up. Okay. Uh, All right, good. And second, you pay one price for as many podcasts as you want to host. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Which, which is nice because I've got Behind the Bits. I just mm-hmm. started Your Pod Guy, and I also host the podcast that I produce for my workplace. So mm-hmm. I got three podcasts, one price. Okay. And then how do they compare as far as features? Features are pretty good. They do have programmatic ads that you can make a little money with. And I think Mm -hmm. you just need 500 downloads per episode Mm -hmm. as an average. They've got that. They do bring in sponsors for larger pre-roll, mid-roll ads. I've been with them for a year and I think I've done three of those. And it's usually a 30-day engagement for Mm -hmm. four episodes. And they pay from, I I think my best was like seven fifty, and my worst was like two fifty. Mm, mm-hmm. So they've got that. Their their stats are pretty much like everybody else's. Mm-hmm. B- basic basic demographics: where they listen from, you know what what podcast player they use, male or female, all, all that kind of stuff. Their their dynamic ad insertion is really one of my favorites. And mm-hmm. the reason I like it is say I bring a sponsor on by myself mm-hmm. and I I've done that quite a few times and I want to run it for a month. One of the things I can say is not only are you going to get the four episodes that you bought, but it's also going to run on all my previous episodes because that dynamic insertion is there and I can just say, boom, run it on all 151 episodes. Sure. Yep. And that's that's a good selling point, and it's super easy to do. Mm-hmm. It's basically yeah, upload and month, two clicks. Then you take it out and yeah, and then when, the, when it's all yeah. done, I mm-hmm. replace it with the next one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Okay, and then, so but, the red circle is that like a reference to the record button? I think it is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was trying yeah. to figure that out. It's like where are they getting that? Yeah, I've never. They did have a weird outage it was about two or three months ago mm-hmm. where I think it was almost, it was probably eight hours or so or so where I couldn't mm-hmm. even log in. And I, I've experienced outages with other hosts before, but that is the only outage I've ever had with them. Hmm. Okay. So we'll definitely, I'll have to check them out, see how they compare. I've been really happy with the bus sprouts for several years now. Mm-hmm. They've, they make the process very as as quick and simple as possible for me, especially with multiple podcasts, it's really easy just to switch between them. But I am paying like twenty five or twenty four, whatever it is, bucks per podcast on there. Yeah, and I think I pay thirty five for three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, definitely a pretty good deal. Interesting. 
And then have you, have you added podcasting 2.0 features? So you've mentioned that, and I don't even know what podcasting 2.0 is. Yeah. Yeah. We got to fix that. Well, so podcasting 2.0, and if you, if you go to, it might be podcasting 2.0 as well, but if you go to podcast index, uh-huh.com i believe let me just type it in here myself so i'm i'm telling you the correct one then that will give you oh it's not podcasting it's pod is it maybe.org podcastindex.org let's try that yep it is.org it is a it's a nonprofit, so that makes sense i but, know i checked it out because you mentioned it when we were talking yeah and i checked it out and my podcast is there so mm-hmm so. Yeah, they they typically will they will add automatically podcasts after a while from the other like if you submit it to Apple or Google or somebody, but you can also directly submit it to them. But they also you can also find out more about podcasting 2.0. So podcasting 2.0 is actually was developed by the guy that created podcasting in the first place, Adam Curry. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously there's plenty of other people involved. I don't want to neglect anybody else, but he's kind of the, the main headline guy. And I don't know if you know that history of podcasting either, but essentially Adam Curry and Dave Weiner were the two guys responsible for creating the standard initially for podcasting. And then Adam effectively gave it to Steve Jobs or Steve Jobs asked if it could be a part of the Apple software when the iPod came out, not the iPhone, but the, mm-hmm. or maybe it was the iPhone. I don't know. I get this story wrong. Adam's obviously the guy to tell a full story on this, but essentially the index that Adam put together was taken over by Apple and it's been in Apple hands since then, but probably about three years ago, he got a little frustrated at the fact that there's been zero innovation from Apple. Like they're essentially just have a much bigger version of the thing that he had given to them mm-hmm. and uh, have not done anything to include new features, et cetera, in it. And so he started this podcasting 2.0 project, which is the expansion of the podcasting RSS to include new, new fields in there to make podcasting more modern. And there's a whole bunch of new stuff that's in there. And again, I want to leave it to the people that are actually working on it to do its justice. But it includes things like you can have a monetization of podcasts directly from the listeners. If you have a podcasting 2.0 compatible app, which now I think there's about 20 of them that are podcasting 2.0 certified in the Mm. app store. And so not the official Google one, not the official Apple one, but a whole bunch on each of those platforms. And they utilize coin or actually Satoshis, which are, I think, one ten millionth of a Bitcoin. It's basically a small denomination. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, a, it's a reasonable denomination to be able to do small transactions because you're not going to send somebody one, one millionth of a Bitcoin yeah. like that, that. That seems like a weird denomination. So Satoshi's is the standard, and it's it's a one-to-one mapping with Bitcoin. It's not a different currency. It's actually the same. It's the same Bitcoin currency. It's just using a different server for it. And and also, it's done in real time, whereas Bitcoin, I don't know if you do Bitcoin stuff at all, but 
it takes a little bit of time, like anywhere from a few minutes to half an hour for your transaction to actually go through the blockchain. Mm-hmm. So it Bitcoin is not good for fast transactions. But with these apps, for example, you can load in, let's say, 10,000 Satoshis, which is, I don't, I don't know at this point what that equates to, probably like 15 bucks or something. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Maybe less. <laughs> it could be less. And, and then you can just specify that for every minute of listening to this podcast, for example, I want to send them 100, 100 Satoshis per minute. Yeah which would be, I don't know, three cents or something, whatever, maybe more than that. Again, don't ignore the math, guys, because the cost of Satoshi's changes constantly, depending when you're hearing this. You may be either laughing because it's too low or laughing because it's too high. Yeah. But either way, you're like, you're totally off. Yes, I know I'm off. But the bottom line is it's a way to enable listeners directly to pay for the podcast directly to the creator and bypass the need for advertising or anything like that. Mm. And Adam's podcast, which is one of the longest running podcasts ever, I think in their 14th year or something like that, has been uh, using what he described as a value for value model, which is it's always free and it's always ad free. But the idea is that if you like it, send a donation in. Mm-hmm. And he has managed to grow that as a concept just using PayPal initially and then adding more different ways to do it. And I think a lot of people really appreciate not having advertising. And so a lot more people are willing to contribute financially directly if you have a podcast that doesn't include advertising. And so with Podcasting 2.0, you're now able to do that without having to take the time to go to PayPal, put in their email and decide how much you want to send, all that stuff that takes time and effort, simply by saying, yes, whenever I listen, and only for the minutes that I listen, there will be a donation sent automatically in mm-hmm. Bitcoin. So it's a, it's a cool concept, and that's just one of the new features. There's a whole bunch of other features that are part of the standard as well, but like transcriptions, built-in transcriptions, multiple images so that you can, if you have multiple chapters in your podcast i you haven't have chaptered i haven't done chaptering mm-hmm. yet so yeah if you do that not only can you add chapters but you can also you like all my podcasts include the full transcription right in the podcast as well mm-hmm. so a lot of stuff like that and this script will spit out the, the transcript automatically of course but it's it's something that i think a lot of the podcasters by more technical people, people that are interested in the technology of podcasting have already moved to because it's been Mm -hmm. around for a few years. But of course the big guys are always going to be the slowest to make any, any changes or move to anything that augments the standard. And it's fully backwards compatible with the old standard. So if you're, if you're creating a podcast episode in something more traditional, then it's all of these podcast 2.0 apps will be more than happy to just, give you the subset of the features that have always existed okay but i would definitely encourage you to check that out get a little more info because it does add a lot a lot more features to what people are used to which is what originally adam gave to apple back over a decade ago back when jobs was still alive yeah 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 i did i took a look at i took a look at the site and one of the amazing things that popped up to me was like 440,000 new podcasts launched 
in the, mm-hmm. what, like the last six months or something. Yep. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, it indexes three, 3.8 million of them total podcast right now, I believe. Yeah. It's, it's mind boggling. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's almost half a million in the last 90 days, 365,000 in the last 30 days. But, it, but again, you're what you mentioned earlier, which is that the vast majority don't get past 10 and of the ones that get past 10 most of those don't get to 50 right so it there there are a lot of orphan podcasts that's for sure yeah and one thing i would like to see is mm-hmm. if your podcast doesn't work and you've got seven episodes up there please just delete it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, i mean I, I don't know how you feel, but I feel like I make an analogy to if, if I tell my friends I have a podcast, it's almost like telling them I'm vegan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, shit, I got to listen to that now. Or it's it because podcasts have a bad name because there's so many bad ones out there. Mm-hmm. There, There are a lot of them. And. But that's, I mean, it's the same thing with books, right? It's, it's right now, especially when you can self-publish books, when you don't require a publisher, there's no editor going through your stuff and saying, yeah, this is worth us as a publishing company to invest money in. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the good side of self-publishing is the authors keep way more money because they used to get pennies in the dollar for their work. Yeah. The bad side of it is that there's nobody really filtering for quality either. And right. So, there are some terrible, terrible books out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And not both in content, but also in presentation. There's some books that have great info that really just require a professional editor to go through and redo them. Right. And that's something that we got to put up with. And I, I think that you really have to rely on, on, and I'm mostly talking about Amazon here, but rely on the ratings of, <clears throat> of the people that have bought the book to determine whether or not you want to spend the money on it. because the cover might look great because that's usually paid somebody. Most people pay somebody else to create the cover. I've never done that. I've created my own covers for my books because I think that's a waste of money to pay somebody for that. But, but also I've not tried to do anything super fancy either, Mm -hmm. but, but yeah, it's, I think it's a similar thing with podcasts. Like you're not, if, if the podcast has no reviews, it's like, well, you're on your own. This may suck or it may be good. You never know. (laughs) It's got some reviews that that gives you a little better idea, at least as if you're going to enjoy it or not. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only, I, I get like, I do the Amazon unlimited, whatever you can get the free books for. Mm-hmm. And I will try out a book and all I've really have lost is my time if it's mm-hmm. not good. Yeah. Well, the time's the one thing you can't replace. So yeah. Yeah. That's, that's not a, uh, I'd rather lose money than time. Yeah. 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 I, I, I agree with that. And I'll give it a chapter or two before I decide I'm going to delete it off my Kindle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So while I jumped into the whole podcasting 2.0 stuff, I guess you, you, I stopped you when you were going through your, your history or background. And we got, I think, to the point where you were doing podcasting for, or podcasts both for your region and the comedy one and what else were you doing yeah so the behind the bits is is my comedy podcast and it's been going for three years now and i never 
I never had big expectations of it like taking off. And mm -hmm. it turned out in the second year, it did take off. I won an award, best interview style podcast award from one of the places. And it was mm -hmm. a vote award, although I was nominated by them. I can't remember the name of the place, but I was nominated by them and I, I rallied for votes like crazy and I ended up <laughs> winning that. And mm -hmm. then that gave me a big bump because they put it on their Twitter feed and all that kind of stuff. I got some pretty good guests and things kept rolling, especially during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. it, things rolled really well. I got some great guests. People had time. They were listening. And my listenership grew to a point where I could, I could bring on sponsors. I could, I could run programmatic ads and make a decent living at it and not a decent living, but pocket money. And it really, I got a little bit of clout. I had publicists coming to me saying, Hey, will you have my comic on and stuff like that? And I really got into, okay, what makes a podcast good? And my success was really just because I kept at it and, mm -hmm. and listen, listen to my listeners when they gave suggestions and things like that. And so I really got passionate about podcasting and I started one for the place I worked at in Indiana. And then I worked for a company out of Birmingham here and I started one for mm -hmm. them. And I thought I, I, I was talking to other podcasters because you know how we get around and talk. And mm -hmm. they kept saying, one of the things I like to do is help other people start podcasts. And mm -hmm. I thought, well, let me get into that game. And so I started a podcast in January called Your Pod Guy. And I've got a website called yourpodguy.com where I will consult with you and get your podcast started for you. Mm -hmm. And the only thing is, is most people focus on what I consider the ticky tack stuff, like your microphone, your, the software you use. I mean, we both love Descript, but you know, it's really not the most important part of your podcast. It is mm -hmm. what is your podcast about? What do you want to accomplish with it? And what's your mission? So I, I started your pod guy to help people get through what I think is the important part before they even start podcasting. Mm -hmm. So other than the software and hardware, what kind of things are you asking them or, or helping them decide? Yeah. So the first thing I ask them is what do you want to accomplish with your podcast? Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, I work with mostly people who have a business that they want to promote. So a really good, I work, I'm working with a real estate agent and a really mm -hmm. good thing for a real estate agent to do to cement that trusted advisor status is do a podcast and it doesn't even have to be a weekly podcast. Everybody mm -hmm. thinks they have to do it weekly a month or monthly or twice a month is totally fine. But if a realtor has the knowledge that, okay, this is, this is what is going to help you sell your house. If you remodel your bathroom and you spend $8,000, your return is going to be X or mm -hmm. If you paint, your return is going to be X. Putting podcasts out about that and then sell and buyers, buyers want to know how to buy, buy a house. And first time buyers, I tell you what, I own my house. I had my house for 30 years in South Bend. So I hadn't bought a house for a long time. I didn't even know what markets were like. And guess what? I'm in Huntsville, Alabama now, and it's nuts. 
mm-hmm. and I wish I listened to a couple podcasts about it. So a, a realtor that puts a podcast out, it's a great marketing thing as long as it's informational and it's not just a commercial. Hmm. So are you so, still doing the, the Indiana podcast after you moved? No, that's gone. That, okay. I was going to say that'd be weird. Yeah. I, I actually gave that up. I think in the first year I did behind the bits cause I just couldn't do mm. both. Mm-hmm. Got it. That makes sense. So you, you're basically working with businesses that want to utilize podcasting as part of their marketing efforts. Yeah. Got it. And, and now do you work with their marketing people or who do you typically work with? So it depends if it's a single real estate agent, I'm working directly with them. Sure. Sure. And once we get the framework done, that's when I say, okay, let's start looking at what, you know, mm-hmm. what's the basic equipment you need and how can we get this to where you can do a podcast for dummies and mm-hmm. do this yourself? Or who do you want to farm out the editing to? Who do you want to farm out your social media advertising to mm-hmm. help them find the right people to get everything moving? And then let them go. One of the things that I see out there in podcast land is there's all these gurus that want you to pay them so much money a month in order Mm -hmm. to get their podcast in the top, top 10 Apple or whatever. My thing is, is I want to, I want to give you the most information and give you the, the best start you can to your podcast and then get out of your life and let you do your podcast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you really can't hit them before they start or yeah it's that's really the best thing Mm -hmm. i will work with a podcast say they are thinking about a rebrand say things aren't say they've gone for a year and they've plateaued as far as listeners and they Mm want to know what to do next i will i will consult in that type of manner as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then what's i guess what are you seeing as the the size of listenership that these companies are trying to get to. Obviously, the more the better, but, you know, is there a point at which it's not worthwhile for them to do the podcast? Or is there a point at which, like, their investment in doing the podcast actually is sufficiently large to pay back? What are you finding with those numbers? So when you think about it, so let's take my company, for instance. My company does a anywhere from... 15 to 20 minute episode twice a month Mm, mm -hmm. and it's very very short on one topic say say we're talking about cybersecurity Mm -hmm. and the different things that are available to you that weren't besides antivirus that can help you keep your network secure so we'll do a episode an informational episode that is really targeted towards like c-level people the can say they can take away a couple good nuggets and take that back to their IT person or contact us to help them out. Mm-hmm. And as far as the time that's invested in it and the money that's invested in it, first off, it's zero because it's hosted for it's hosted on my account for free. Mm-hmm. And and second, as far as the time, I spend about probably an hour, um, for every episode. And then I give it to our marketing person and she probably spends another hour putting posts together, social media posts, cutting out snippets and, and things like that for LinkedIn. And Mm -hmm. so really it's two hours an episode and we get 
maybe I, th- I think our best was maybe a hundred. However, it's the right people. It's our own clients. It's our clients sharing it with their peers. And we've already seen things come of it. And mm-hmm. the other thing is, is our employees are listening to it. So they are understanding what our initiatives are and how we're talking to our clients. So you've got a level one tech. He understands that we are saying that spam filter for Office 365 is probably not as good as you want for your email. Yeah. So it's it's really, it's, I think quality is a lot more important than quantity when you're doing a business-related podcast. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And what, like, what type of clients have you been working with in terms of size of business? Now, you mentioned some real estate agents. What, what other types of clients seem to be in the right niche for you? Right. So I'm just starting. So I'm, I, I've got three of them going. I, I'm okay. work. I'm working pro bono for a guy in Boise, Idaho, who mm. is starting a comedy podcast. <laughs> oh, okay. That makes sense. I, I've got a local real estate agent here in Huntsville, and I've got a guy in South Bend, Indiana, who developed an application for people who sell like Amazon, FBA, eBay, Etsy, all, all, all the different, all the different ways to sell Mm -hmm. your stuff or sell from a warehouse. And he basically takes all that and puts it together. So you know where your inventory is, you know where your sales are coming from. And Mm -hmm. it's basically an API that you can plug into just about anything. And I'm working with him to get his podcast going that talks not only about what he does, but all the stuff that's adjacent, all the things that Amazon FBA sellers go through. Sure. Yeah, that I I probably wouldn't mind listening to that myself. I've yeah. got products on Amazon. <laughs> and there's not there's not a ton of those out there. Mm-hmm. That's that's one of the markets that's not overly saturated. I I, I like this uh, podcast two site, but I use listen notes when I'm looking for podcasts mm-hmm. that are in a certain area. And mm-hmm. it's got a real good keyword search function and I use that and I know when I searched that, there wasn't a whole lot in that area. Yeah. Well, I mean, podcasting index is really like the site is only just to tell you a little bit about the company. Yes, you can get some stats and data out of there. But for the most part, the focus for them is on working with developers to create the new standard. Right. So it's really as much as anything, a proof of the concept Mm -hmm. in live. And it's also, I mean, one of the motivating forces here too initially for them was to have a site that isn't big tech mm-hmm. um, because it, it happened on the heels of all the deplatforming that big tech started doing to where Apple dropped Alex Jones podcasts and a bunch of other people's podcasts and, and literally the same day Google dropped them and everybody else. And you have people that literally had millions of listeners all of a sudden being homeless. Yeah. And obviously people have their own political opinions on this matter, but it doesn't matter to me anyway, on whether they were far lefty or far righty or, or centrist, the idea that the people controlling the indexes can make arbitrary decisions on who they don't want to be in the index. That's very dangerous in my mind, because that type of power 
should not be within one company. And of course, now we've had the Twitter hearings on in, in Congress mm. showing that not only was it Twitter making decisions, but it was actually FBI bringing decisions to Twitter that they would like to see happen. Yeah. And all of that stuff is just like, whoa, this is not what was envisioned originally for any of this stuff. Like when Google started doing indexing of websites, we didn't think that eventually the only results we see are companies that pay Google. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what we're seeing right now. Everybody on the front page and usually the first few pages, they all one way or another give money to Google, whether it's directly through placement on the search results or through it's through AdWords or whatever else you're seeing paid results. You're not oh, seeing yeah. the actual index. And that's why I've, I don't use Google for index either I, I'm, for a while. There, there are more neutral sources out there. And so with Podcast Index being a, a nonprofit off in its own little world, it, it really means that you can't deplatform a podcast. Right. It might and, be harder to find, but you can't deplatform it. Yeah, and I think that's important. There's I, the, the whole freedom of speech thing is really getting... Like you said, it's, it's dangerous right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's people that are your age, my age, like we took a lot of this stuff for granted. Yeah. Like this wasn't a question The the idea that Ford motor company can say only certain people can drive Ford cars. Yeah. Are you kidding? That was not <laughs> a thought anybody had. It's like, yeah. wait, didn't that all disappear in the sixties when we got integrated schools? Yeah. And now all of a sudden. There's a resurgence of that, not not necessarily based on skill and color, but definitely based on ideologies. Yeah. So it, it is, I think it's important to support companies and, and organizations that really promote true freedom of speech and podcasting relies on freedom of speech. Exactly. Yeah, there is no podcasting in the book 1984. Yeah. It's funny on behind the bits, I, I made a rule for myself that I'm going to have guests on that don't share my ideology as far mm -hmm. as politics or religion mm -hmm. or anything like that. I was going to bring, cause I'm a lefty and I was mm -hmm. going to bring on people who are funny and yeah. people who have done something that I think adds value. So I've had some pretty, pretty heavy conservative guests on mm. and Tom Dreesen's one of them. And mm -hmm. I get these notes from, my liberal friends are like, why do you, why did you have that guy on? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, because he adds value. Th this isn't a politics podcast. It's about stand <laughs> right. <comedy. laughs> yeah. And I've even, so I've, I've had people want to censor me and I've, I've had people yeah. say, I'm not going to listen to your show anymore because you had this dude on. I know it's crazy. Yeah. No. And, and I don't know if you had to listen to any of my previous episodes, but I actually just had a, a 20 year old Gen Z kid on, well, I call him a kid because I wanted to, in as much as I can make fun of all those people his age, I, I wanted to have the, that perspective directly from the horse's mouth undiluted mm -hmm. by anybody else and see what are they thinking? And is this, is this something that is similar to what I remember at that age? Or is this like completely crazy, wacky shit that, that, I've never went through or any of my friends. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I also had somebody that was like 10 years older, somebody that was in his late 20s after that. And now I've got 
you, you're 58, you said, and Mm -hmm. self-identified lefty. So that'll be fun for a lot of my listeners. I think I definitely (laughs) skew right. I'm, I'm very much a libertarian. So I was for a good chunk of my life, I was seen as a lefty by the conservatives. Now I think we're best friends. So it's things have shifted in our lifetimes. That's for sure. It has. And it's funny. You talk to the, uh, you talk to a, a Gen Zer, and mm-hmm. their point of reference for their opinion is so much different than ours. Oh yeah, yeah. We didn't absolutely. have a thousand people telling us this is wrong when when they have no basis of saying it's wrong on social yeah. media when we were kids. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember <clears throat> even in college, like having some professors that were clearly ideologically socialist. There's no two ways about it. But even then, like you, well, at least I remember being smart enough to know that, okay, well, I should expect that because this is the last bastion of socialism was universities. Mm -hmm. Well, it it seems like good luck finding somebody who isn't a socialist in in academia right now. Yeah. (laughs) It's 100% taken over. and. And to the point where when, when you and I were in, in college, like somebody being called a socialist or a communist was an insult. Mm-hmm. It's not anymore to these kids. Like they think, well, yeah, those are the good ideas. This is where we need to bring the United States to in order to save it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a very different mentality and it's not the sort of old union socialism. It's very much a Chinese style socialism that they're into. Yeah. And that's scary. Yeah. It's, I would have not predicted this. That's for sure. I mean, I'm usually pretty good at making predictions. I find myself being right more often than not, but the direction that the youth right now is going, I would not have predicted. I just would have figured they all be just brain numb zombies looking at their phones, which is what I make fun (laughs) of them for. But politically, I, I think they're quite different than what I would have expected for sure. So do you, you, I'm not like, I'm not a big comedy guy. I've, certainly gone to a few comedy shows, improv things over the years, but it's not really an area I follow. So other than the big guys, like obviously Joe Rogan, who will have comedians on occasionally, not as often as he used to these days, and Mark Maron, and like, who else do you really like out there for comedy podcasts? Yeah. Most of the comedy podcasts I like are more independent, like mine. Mm-hmm. there's there's one that's brand new of a couple guys from indiana who have both been doing comedy i think one's like 10 years in and the other one's like 13 and it, it's called matt and dwight just might and i've i've interviewed both of them on my show but they talk about like comedy 101 stuff mm. and and the the title doesn't tell you what you're going to get so Mm -hmm. they made a mistake there but yeah that's okay but they i and i want to i want to say their listenerships probably their friends right now but it's one it's one of the best podcasts for any new comedian that wants to understand what it's all about what how to put a set together how to get paid all that kind of stuff and it's what's the name of the podcast again i'm sorry What's the name of the show again? It's Matt and Dwight just might. And Matt, Matt is with and one Dwight T. Matt and Dwight just might. That is a horrible name. 
Yeah. Ugh. They need to hire you. Yes. Yeah, they definitely need a rebrand. But yeah. I think I think they're doing it just for fun. But the content, and for me, the most important thing on a podcast is content. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely fantastic. And there's another guy, and he's been doing it for years. And he does a show called The Art of Bombing Podcast. Mm. And the what he does, his That's podcast center out, centers around a comedian coming in and talking about their worst bomb and mm. how they recovered from it. Yeah, that sounds pretty interesting. That's a good name that actually ties into the yep. topic and having people talk about their worst experience is always entertaining for sure. Yeah. Yeah, he does he does a great job with it. Mhm. No, that's that's cool. And then are you still doing stand up locally where you're at now or are you just busy with the podcasting stuff? So I've I've gotten away from it and I'm just starting to get back into it. Mm-hmm. The the move the move was hard. I mean, when you've been in the same place all your life and you move 600 miles south to Huntsville, Alabama, it's yeah. it, it was a shock to the system. So, mm-hmm. and I'm just starting to get to know the the folks around here. And the thing with comedy, it's definitely not like riding a bike. So if you if you stop for a period of time, you've got to make up that time again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at my age, I, I, I'm making decisions on where I want to spend my time. Sure. And yeah. I've decided after last year, I did so little. I did like one paid show and a few open mics. And this year I've decided, okay, I'm going to put a little bit more effort towards it and mm-hmm. maybe try to get myself on some showcases and stuff like that. But I'm also redoing my material, getting getting my chops back by doing open mics and stuff like that. So this year I will do more than last year, but probably not as much as the years before when I was in South Bend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you like Huntsville? I love it. The re- We came, so I we've got two kids. My daughter is 32 and she lives in the DC area mm-hmm. and my son, uh, got a job for NASA out of college and mm-hmm. came to Huntsville. And yeah, I was going to say, it's a big aerospace industry there. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is he studied meteorology and was planning on working, working for the National Weather Service. And mm. he did some presentation in Chicago and a NASA guy was there. And he said, I, I think you'd be a good fit. And they mm. actually brought him down and paid for his master's degree and gave him like an internship, a paid internship. Mm -hmm. And now he's like in management or something. But we wanted to be close to one of our kids and we were in DC enough times to know that we didn't want to live there. (laughs) So Huntsville it was. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That makes sense. It's, uh, and I think in a lot of ways, Alabama gets a bad rep. Yeah, it's it's a know, beautiful country out there. The weather's good. Yeah. The, uh, it's just not well known for anything particularly other than poor education. Mm-hmm. So, but doesn't mean that that affects the, the city life and everything else. That's very different yeah. out there. And Huntsville's, I think, about 50% bigger than South Bend. So it's, it's a mm-hmm. bigger city, but it still has a small city feel. Mm-hmm. 
and the mountains are hiking in the mountains is great. Mm-hmm. Their mountains aren't big, but they're, they've got great trails. Now, bigger than what we have here in Texas. That's for sure. Yeah. A little flat. Yeah. Our, our mountain hundred feet tall. So yeah. But yeah, I really, I've really enjoyed it here. The one thing I do miss is we were by Lake Michigan mm-hmm. and going and walking the beach and the trails of Lake Michigan was really, really fun. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's nice. I don't miss the lake effect snow. I'll tell you that. Yeah. But now you're not too far from the coast. I mean, you're not right on the coast for sure, but how, how long of a drive is it to go down the coast? It is right around two hours. Yeah, that's reasonable. That's a weekend trip for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We've done it. We did it. Mm -hmm. So we were by ourselves last Christmas and we went and spent a few nights on the beach there. Yeah. Yeah. Which is nice. And I, I, in Austin where I'm at, it's about a three hour drive down to the Gulf. So it's a little bit further. It's, you certainly have to, you can't just do it in one day because then you're going to be driving for six hours. Yeah. But it's still close enough for a weekend or an overnight pretty much any time. And it's it's nice to have the ability to get down to open water like that. Yes. Yeah, it definitely is. Cool. All right. Well, so I guess let's get your contact info and all that good stuff. Obviously, you said you're looking for or working with companies already, and I'm sure looking for more that want to get some help in putting together the, their podcast. Are you also looking for any kind of comedy stuff? What what kind of, what are you looking to spend time doing? As far as a podcast go, if you have an idea for a podcast or you think you want a podcast, just contact me. I'm not going to charge mm-hmm. you anything to talk to you about it. Mm-hmm. I do like a free initial consultation, I call it, but mm-hmm. I'll, I love meeting people and just talking to them. So whatever your podcast is about, if you want to get steered in the right direction, I've got a checklist that I, that I made up about what your podcast is about. And then all the ticky tack stuff like microphones and hosting Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So I will definitely help you absolutely free. And then if you think it's a good fit and you want me to take you down the road, then, you know, I will definitely bring you on as a client. But which, by uh, the way, is is nice because a lot of times I'll get approached with a whole bunch of questions people have. I'm happy to give them a copy of my list of what I use. Doesn't mean it's going to be the best fit for them, yeah. <laughs> because I've been doing this for over a decade. But also, I I'm not really going to spend any more time than I have to to reply to them because I'm doing other stuff. I'm not doing any kind of podcasting, consulting, or anything like that. Right. So it's more of a favor if you reach out to me and ask some questions. It's hard enough trying to get people that I co-host with to get all the right gear. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to be doing that for just the average person. So it's interesting that that's a niche or a little business that you're that you're also doing on the side, which is great. Yeah, and I, I think it's I think it's going to be fun. Once again, I don't have huge expectations for it. If I if it takes off, that's great. If it doesn't, I'm always here. Mm-hmm. I, I bought the URL. It's yourpodguy.com. So, it's a decent URL. So I, I think that's fine. I'm, I'm probably going to spend about 80% of my time with local folks because I can sit there with them and be in person and, sure. and take them through it that way. But I, I will be glad to take on folks from anywhere in the country or in the world for that matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if they want to email, is it just Scott at your pod guy or what's the email? Yeah. It's Scott at your pod guy.com. 
Yeah. That makes sense. That's cool. Now, one thing we didn't cover them before I forget here too is, so I record, since we're talking about sort of the how the sausage is made stuff, I typically will record audio only podcasts on Zencaster. Some people like clean feed. I used to use clean feed, but I find that Zencaster is a little slicker because it actually saves the audio from both sides rather than just providing a conduit for the audio. What have you been using or what have you found other people using for podcasting? So Zencaster is a big one. Riverside FM Mm -hmm. is a big one. I personally, because I do a live stream video for my behind the bits interviews, Mm -hmm. I use Restream IO. Yep. I'm rethinking that a little bit Mm -hmm. because there is a good percentage of time that there are audio issues from my remote guest. Mm. Did you, do you walk them through to making sure that in their settings for restream, they turn on high quality audio? Yeah. And, and still, if, if there's any bandwidth glitches or Mm -hmm. they don't have a mic and they're using AirPods and stuff like that, it just doesn't, I feel like restream exasperates the issue that's already there. That's probably true. Although I do like that restream can, you can dump right into Descript. Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I hope that they, they do multi-track, which is great. The only thing is, is I, I've got a Rodecaster Pro, so I, mm-hmm. I record my audio on there and it sounds better than the tracks I download from Restream anyway. Mm-hmm. Sure. But yeah, and it's just, I, I, I'm, I haven't made a decision yet because I pay annual on that too. <laughs> Yeah. I, I do annual well, that's for not everything. Cheap. That's like 40 bucks a month, if I remember right. So I think every Black Friday, they do a half off. Mm, really? And okay. it's good for monthly and annual. And annual, yeah. And the nice thing is, is once you're in it, you're in it for life. So when you mm-hmm. re-up, it doesn't go, it doesn't revert back to the price. So uh, interesting. Yeah, because I... I've got the the cheap package on there just because I've been playing around with it. But one of my YouTube channels that we we have the pro package from them that we use, but that's paid for by the channel. But for myself, Mm -hmm. I've just got the little cheap one. But that's interesting. I'll keep an eye out for the next time we have a Black Friday come along and see if I can get in on that deal. Yeah, and they've been consistent with it because I was with StreamYard Mm -hmm. before and StreamYard is about the same price normally. Yeah, a little fewer features, I think. Right. And they never do like a half off thing like Restream. So they did have 30% off. Let me think how far back this would have been. I want to say Memorial Day of last year. I think we got a 30% off deal on them. Mm-hmm. Right around there. So they do Rama occasionally, but right. lately it has been the full price. Right. I and there's a lot of other else. players coming up. I see, I see yeah. other similar types of platforms coming yeah, up well adobe is another one they, they've got a competitor to restream that's coming up as well excellent yeah i i, I love the competition because that's going to push features yeah and it's also going to cost down bring the price of the cost down <laughs> yeah yeah because yeah, again for 40 bucks a month or 39 whatever the hell it is you're still looking at 500 bucks a year yeah so this is these are not insignificant costs for having that level but obviously with restream or Streamyard, you're getting video 
you're getting video editing, live editing at least, and you're getting multiple concurrent endpoints. So you're, yes. you're going to, like, I think when we do our, our show, it goes to not just YouTube, but also Twitch, Facebook, and a handful of others that I don't remember. So it, you do get m more features out of it, obviously, way more than just audio. But this is also why I like to do, if I do a pure audio recording, I usually do it on Zencaster. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the Zencaster recordings, cause I've been on a number of podcasts mm -hmm. that use Zencaster and definitely between that and Riverside FM, it's just mm -hmm. pristine. Yeah. Yeah. And then Zencaster during COVID started doing like their free plan got vastly expanded. Yeah. I remember that. And so, and it's still expanded. So I don't, I mean, I guess there's enough people like paying them money for the, the video features. Cause basically video is the, the main feature you got to pay for. Mm -hmm. Uh, but like today's recording, I've done two and a half, three hour recordings on their free plan on Zencaster. Mm -hmm. And it's like, holy shit, this is great. Cause it's yeah. the same high quality. It's a, there's no cap. Like if you have free plans on most of their platforms, like, oh, you get 30 minutes. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for nothing. But these guys literally allow anybody that wants to do remote interviews with podcasts to, to do it for free and in a nice UI with the ability to have each party be providing their remote audio directly to Zencaster. They take care of the mix minus. They take care of all the issues that we as audio guys usually had to do with hardware or software on our end. Yeah. Like they just take care of all that stuff. And all you got to do is just download the files when you're done. Yeah. In fact, you don't, I don't even do that because I've got it set up to automatically upload the files to my Dropbox. So the files are literally on my computer within about 15 minutes after the end of a recording. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. It's, it's really slick. And again, I like, I don't pay for it. It's free. Yeah. Can't beat it. I'll never forget the first time I tried to figure out mix minus. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It's for a lot of people. It's, and I've got like, I use the Motu mixer and the, I don't, again, you probably don't know the backstory in this unless you were deep in the podcasting back about five years ago, but Adam and I did a Kickstarter for a, a new design of a podcasting mixer hardware for the computer where you know, the guy who did, literally invented the podcasting took his requirements mm -hmm. for doing a podcast. And then I was the CEO of the company. And then we worked with a designer and engineer and the guy that did PCBs. And anyway, we built a few prototypes of this device. And it was, it had a lot of features that the up to that point existing devices, mixers didn't have because really mixers were being made for musicians. Right. Not for podcasters. So it was always some adaption going on. And we did the Kickstarter. And as the, the, the money dude, I, I had some very rigid requirements on how well we had to do in the Kickstarter before we committed to the production of any kind of units. And mm. while we kicked off very strong in the Kickstarter, it fizzled out. And I think we had a, like around 200,000 pledged or so. Mm -hmm. And that was nowhere near. And we'd need to have at least half a million, ideally a million pledged 
mm-hmm. in order to be able to order the mass production of these things. And so the product basically didn't didn't materialize because we didn't have sufficient enough numbers in the Kickstarter. But lo and behold, about a year, maybe 18 months later, Rode came out with their product, which was the same shape, very similar yeah. in functionality, had a screen just like ours. I mean, it's just like, oh, oh nice. They took our spec, made it a little bit bigger because we had four channels. They They went to I think it's six channels, right? Yeah. Well, they've got four channels natively and you can add. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, so it's like they expanded on what we had, but it's like, wow, months would be about right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm positive at the very least there was somebody that was paying attention to our Kickstarter from Road, And then they said, well, there's interest, but there wasn't enough for them to make it. Maybe we should. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a lot easier for a company that has other products, obviously, than a brand new startup to oh, yeah. get that off the ground. Yeah. But I've been a Moto user for like 35 years, so I'm still a big believer in those guys. There's nothing else that touches them. It's pro audio quality products for stage and recording musicians. But complex is all hell to configure. Yeah. So like mine is set up with eight different mix minus channels, so I can have a whole bunch of different sources that, that can all be on and intermingled with each other uh-huh. without anybody getting any kind of feedback. But again, it's like, it's even knowing the products for many years, I still sometimes go, wait, wait a minute, how, what the hell? This isn't working. What am I trying to do here? Yeah. So definitely get some of that. Have and you heard trying- about the issues with the uh, Roadcaster Pro 2? Yeah, I haven't really paid attention. I know they're, People were saying, wait for the updated firmware. What what kind of stuff were you well, saying? Well, the, the the there's firmware issues, but the hardware is no good. Really? Wow. Yeah, it's I, I've I've seen people return three of them because mm. keypads didn't work. The Damn. the sound pads didn't work. If you hit the sound pad, your audio would completely go off, mm. and like like short circuits just just i don't know what they put into this or quality control issues well yeah what r&d they did but it was Mm -hmm. definitely not ready for prime time wow that's not good yeah yeah a lot of folks have just given up and they went back to their pro one Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's too bad i mean again that's another segment where the more competition the better it is for everybody yeah yeah, for sure. Get get more of that. And I know that there are, there's now more of a market for that because it's it's very similar needs from both podcasters and YouTubers or streamers. Yeah. So you you want to have more than two channels, but not necessarily ten. You want to have a bunch of buttons that you can assign. There's there's there are more things that these products can do. And I, I think there's another one that was a task, a TX or task cam or somebody, somebody's got a, a product that starts with a T, I think that is competing with the road one very directly, but the more of them come out, the better as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what did you use uh, before you got the road? Yeah. I know the, on the road one that I have, they mm-hmm. pretty much said they're not going to do any more updates, mm-hmm. which is fine because it works, but when I first got it, they kept putting feature updates out and I know a couple of them, I rolled it back until they fixed it because it was more trouble than it was worth. Yeah. But now 
it's nothing and they're putting everything into the tube, but the tube is a piece of crap. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, hopefully they get the quality control issues in their control. Yeah. Because I'm sure they'll do that eventually if they haven't already because yeah. they don't have a choice. And I do know the features they put into it were really more towards streaming than podcasting anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think we're going to have more companies that have been focused on streaming, like Stream Deck, Elgato. Like those guys are going to add more that is also good for podcasters as they expand their product offerings. Like I've got their new Stream Deck Plus, I think it is. It's the one with the knobs. Mm-hmm. And that comes with a built-in mixer, uh, which is great for streaming, but could just as easily work for podcasting as well. That essentially creates a multiple inputs and outputs that all mix down to a single channel, and you can do mix minus very easily on it. So there, there's more and more stuff that's coming out that kind of targets this home studio, but not for music kind of environment. Mm. Which I've, is I've never scene. used the Elgato line, but I've heard it's really good. Yeah, I would call it mid-tier. So it's it's you could think of it as like expensive home gear. Mm-hmm. Or it it's close to, but not quite at the level of professional quality stuff. But it's also about a third of the price of the pro stuff. Right. Uh, if you want to look at getting switchers for video, you're looking at thousands of dollars. With the Elgato products, you're looking at hundreds of dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. it's it's significantly cheaper than like Blackmagic or other alternatives out there that would be in the thousands of dollars that are more meant for pro studios. Right. But it's also not super cheap. Like their lights, I think, are 169 bucks, And you can go to amazon and get lights of the same brightness for 29 bucks yeah so you're always going to pay a little premium going with elgato but on the other hand it's high quality it's usually metal rather than plastic housing Mm. and uh, it all works together so the, the different products are meant to be used together and talk to each other yeah for sure good stuff all right well anything else you want to bring up we didn't talk about because i i feel like We've reminisced about a lot of stuff and some things we've had in common. And I think it's good to get your perspective. You've also managed to fulfill the niche of me interviewing somebody now that is a older Gen Xer as well. So I'm going down my line of different age groups I'm yeah. talking to. <laughs> so technically, I'm a boomer. How are you a boomer? Because I, I, what year were you born? A 64. So the. Oh, the you're cut- barely a boomer. Yeah. Yeah. The cutoff six, 64. So I, yeah. I'm not really accepted by boomers or Gen Xers. Yeah. That's right. Go away. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause I, I guess the people born in 65 are definitely Gen Xers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it really mm-hmm. depends on what chart you Google. <laughs> some yeah. of them, some of them have boomers stopping like in 59. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably technically more accurate. But I think, I guess what I've been more familiar with is like 65 being that cut off. Yeah. That's 1965 to all you kids out there. Yeah. <laughs> That's a last century shit. That's right. Uh-huh. It's kind of like, I, I like seeing these old videos of like documentaries that are colorized and audios restored from the 1930s and stuff. And then they're interviewing people that were born in the 1860s. It's fun to watch and just see the perspective that 
people from a hundred years ago had, or well, over a hundred at some point. But but yeah, it's there's there's a whole generation that has that was born after two thousand one. Yep, and and they're going to be running things before too long. Mm-hmm. So scary thought. Yeah, it is <laughs> for sure. Well. Scott, I appreciate you being on. This was definitely fun to talk a little bit about the inside baseball or how the sausage is made stuff. And I, I think you've got a a very interesting background here with, well, I mean, not so interesting on the IT side because everybody's doing that, but yeah. more interesting on the comedy stuff. And uh, it's cool that you've got this business concept to actually help people get podcasting done right rather than just struggling through it on their own. Right, right. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I really, yeah. really appreciate it. And I'm going to check out this podcasting 2.0 thing. I think you need to dig into it and kind of make sure that you're you're following those 2.0 guidelines for any of anybody you work with, because it's really just not only a matter of time until it becomes a standard, but also getting a leg up. Like I know my podcasts, the one before this one that I did was one of the first ones that had the full transcripts in it. And people are like, how'd you do this? This is magic. Like, well, as long as you're using one of the apps that supports it, which now is virtually all apps, mm. it used to be a handful of maybe five, five or six apps, then you just, people are surprised at things that they didn't realize a podcast could do and having fully searchable text where you can just type in a topic. And this is great for like political podcasts because, you know, you're covering multiple issues you you punch in well i want to only know about what name your election that you want like arizona or something and mm. you go directly to that spot so you don't have to listen to the rest of the show right you could go to the part that you're actually interested in and then the, the multiple images for enclosures is really cool too because then you you can have like what i used to do is the things that i'm describing in the podcast i would actually have the image of in the podcast player so you it wasn't quite videos. That would be very big download sides if, if the videos were enclosed. But just being able to see the reference image of what, what the person is talking about is really neat. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like that idea. I'm definitely going to dig into that. Yeah. Well, cool. I, I wish you luck and stay in touch. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Gene. Take care, Scott. And as always, thanks for joining me. Please do keep in mind that nothing in this podcast represents financial, legal, or medical advice. 